0: Hello, once again, this is Jordan Rich, and you're tuned to The Brattlecast, where we talk about everything that has to do with books, magazines, manuscripts, postcards, letters, you name it. Old books, new books, old books, rare books, all books are subject to communication on this program, on this podcast. Today, we're going to take a slightly interesting little detour, because Ken Gloss, the proprietor, is here, and often, like, when you're not here doing this podcast, you're out scouting houses, right? You are everywhere.
1: I, I was there before I came here today.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're out looking at uh, estates and things that are. But today we thought what we'd do is explore with you what you occasionally find when you are not finding a book. There are other goodies and other mysteries to unveil.
1: Well, or, or sometimes you go in and there are other things and, and there's that just leave a, an impression that you never know what you're going to see and just a lot of fun. Uh this was when my father was still alive, and my and I'm just going to relate a few stories, and I'll never get through them all. Okay, but we'll uh, have to
0: do a second part of uh,
1: it. My father was still alive; he died around 35 years ago, so it, it's been a while. Got called by a lady in Sharon. She was vague about her name, what she had, who she was, but it sounded like she had some good books. We get to this house. Little ranch house, paint was peeling, weeds were growing. And you say, oh, she, you know, what's going to be in this place? She answered the door. She was quite elderly. She was from the New England area, but she had married the prince of the Ukraine, the cousin of the Tsar of Russia. He had escaped just before the revolution. She told story after story after story about being Russian nobility in Europe and all the intrigues that's going on. It turned out her books were lousy. But the stories were absolutely wonderful. And I remember when I got into this house, on one of her walls, she had 10 watercolors. They were nice, pastoral, European, nicely colored. And when I first got into this house, I was looking at them, and I'm thinking, gee, those are pretty nice. And she's talking, and the more she's talking, the more she's going on and on, the more I'm looking at these pictures, I'm saying, they're really nice. And I finally said to her, and her back was to them, and I finally said to her, those 10 watercolors. They're pretty nice. And she turned around very matter-of-factly and said, oh, yes, they're all Turners. So she had 10 original Turner watercolors, probably a million dollars worth of painting. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, just sort of waving her hand. Yeah, they're all Turners. So you never know what you're going to see. Or, or And I still remember, seeing, they were incredible.
0: Well, when you're involved on a, I'm going to call you the detective, and you're involved in a case, you go in, you're invited in to take a look at someone's book collection, you're inevitably going to go through various rooms to get there, and you can't help but notice stuff, and you're somebody who really has an eye for art and an eye for history, so I imagine your radar goes on.
1: Oh, my radar goes on. Also, I mean, I stick to the books. My specialty is the books, autographs, manuscripts, and related Mm. things like that. One of the things, even within the books field, but particularly when you get into the others, is you never know everything. You, you, it's impossible. And if you did, it would be boring. Hmm. But what you need to do is know people who do know. So I don't necessarily offer in that because I stick to the books. But if she were to have said to me, do you know somebody who might know about this? I I have experts hmm. who I can call in who I have confidence that they would give her good information and a good deal mm. well sometimes i even call them even if the person doesn't and i just say you know i just saw this just for my own personal <laughs> knowledge what you know what would this be or if you were looking at it what would what would you be looking for and so it's a lot of times the things you see or the story that goes with it mm. i mean this is a russian princess essentially sounds great a- another time i went up to vermont in the bennington vermont area And the men, they had some nice books. They had sort of prints and pictures on the wall. But on one of the walls, leaning up against it was this big, huge oil of a little boy or not a little boy, maybe a young teenage boy in a train station with his luggage. And it was very obvious that this big painting was a Norman Rockwell. I mean, it it was I've seen the cover. And, uh, you know, and it's just sitting there against the wall. And I said, you know, I was curious. I said to him, you've got a Norman Rockwell there. He goes, oh, yes. He says, but it's not. Uh, He goes, there's an interesting story. I guess up in that area, Norman Rockwell lived up there uh, for a while. And the man's father was an artist, also an illustrator. And they knew and were very friendly with Norman Rockwell. And they always thought that Norman Rockwell had given their father this valuable painting.
0: <laughs> and and so
1: what happened was yeah. uh, they called one of the auction galleries in New York uh, and they said, yeah, we'd love to get it. They sent someone up. They looked at it. Uh, they thought it you know, was what it was supposed to be. They got it to New York. They had some other experts look at it. And they said, there's something wrong with this. It just isn't quite Right we're sorry, it it doesn't appear to be a Norman Rockwell. uh, And they sent it back to them. Give it, you know, the people are obviously somewhat disappointed. They didn't quite understand. The story had always been this. They were doing some renovations in the house a, a while later, and they broke down a wall. In the wall is another copy of the same painting. Turned out the father was a very good artist and made a copy But he thought the original was too valuable to be just out on the wall. Oh, that's so So, cool. So he put it inside a wall. Now, I don't know how safe that – I'm sure odd people could think of a lot of problems. But they stuck it – but didn't tell anybody. Oh, my goodness. So in any case, they were doing renovations, broke through the wall. Fortunately, didn't hurt the original. The auction gallery came back. They sold it for $12 million. But (sighs) they still had – the copy <laughs> sitting there. And so, you know, all I'm seeing is the copy, but the story, there's the wall. They said, well, of course, we had to fix the wall. A $12 million <laughs> hole in the wall. $12 million hole now, in the Now,
0: wall. I've got to ask you, beyond what is obvious staring you in the face, like a piece of art or a, a photograph, I mean, have there been examples where furniture or lamps or anything that would be unusual that that stood out, umbrellas, I don't know. You, I,
1: you just happened to mention that. I did. We did not rehearse this. <laughs> I went into a house in Newport, uh, not in Newport, in Providence. Okay. And the people had very nice books. there were really nice older books. This was a while ago, but I um, went in and looking and they had this, one of those old secretaries that, you know, nice one, it looked nice enough to me. I didn't really care. There were some books in it that were worth a few Mm -hmm. hundred to a few Mm -hmm. thousand dollars. And, you know, I was totally um, enamored with those and some other things they had. And um, I was, you know, what I tell people, this is a story to say, I know what I know, but I don't even claim to know what I don't know. That piece of furniture, they end up selling at auction for over almost 20 million dollars. And this was thirty years ago. It was the, it still is the highest price ever paid for a piece of American furniture at auction. And if I can walk in and look at it and not even know about it, <laughs> uh, so I tell people, I know the books, I know furniture experts. But if you're going to ask me about furniture antiques, I'll give you the name of the expert.
0: But the fact is, you were there. You I, were. You were. Moseying through there with I the books.
1: Touched it. I opened it. I wow. even did and in one of the interesting things that I found about that though is I had to go back after they had sold it, is the auction gallery as part of the deal when they wanted to auction it, made an exact replica of it that the family had so that they could remember it and know it. My guess is that replica to make probably cost tens of thousands of dollars. Seems
0: to be a trend people making copies of the real thing. Well,
1: in this in this <laughs> case, but I mean, in this case what they did was the money was going to a foundation to yeah. support artists and so on. The family was wealthy enough they could
0: so do that. Isn't it incredible how many people you visit on a regular basis? from all over who don't know what they might have in terms of its value in terms of its rarity.
1: Well, in this case they knew. They knew. They they, they knew that it, and but they didn't say anything to me. I didn't know. Right. But don't uh, put your coffee on the desk whatever you do. <laughs> well, here, here here's another story about coffee. Okay. Uh I I'm got gonna... got called into a house um the the people at first had gone to an, one of our competitors at the time. Uh, I can say the name. It's called Goodspeeds because oh, yeah. they've been out of business a number of years. A great great bookstore, but whatever reason, the Mister Goodspeed didn't come and talk to the people. People had hundred fifty acres of land in Manchester by the Sea on the ocean. Just that for, tells
0: you a little something yeah, about their net worth. Yeah, and okay. that tells yeah. you.
1: Anyways, we're in. My wife was with me. We're in the house. The lady there was absolutely wonderful. She couldn't have been nicer, giving us background history and so on. In any case, she said, Would you like coffee? And I don't drink coffee. Uh, about 40 something years ago, I drank a cup of coffee, yelled at my wife. She said, That's the last cup you're ever going to drink. Quite honestly, it is. Didn't even have you go decaf. Went right to cold turkey. Cold cold turkey. (laughs) Uh, But in this case, the woman said, would you like a cup of coffee? And I really couldn't say no because it was being Mm. courteous and I didn't want to explain the whole story. So we're sitting down and she puts – these coffee cup and service in front of me and my wife. She pours coffee in it. We we both have the coffee cup about halfway up to our mouth, and she goes, "Oh, that's Thomas Jefferson's coffee service." Oh my and god! And it's sort of like <laughs> you freeze. Wow! <laughs> and you know, and then you you sort of very slowly. <laughs> you
0: should probably tell someone that after they put the cup back down. I well, think. you know. It's, wow, it, that's amazing. It, it's that's amazing.
1: In, it's interesting though because I told this to one of my colleagues on the Antiques Roadshow, and they go, oh, yeah, everybody has a family story that, you know, this is Napoleon's this, or this is Thomas Jefferson's that. And, you know, he says they're never true or accurate. Mm. Although,
0: if you have that much land on Manchester-by-the-Sea territory, uh, you're more inclined to believe it.
1: Well, not only that, but one of the great... The second greatest collection of Thomas Jefferson material in the United States. The best collection is at the University of Virginia. The second best is at the Massachusetts Historical Society. No kidding. Because these people are the direct descendants of Thomas Jefferson. They're from Massachusetts. And they gave all of that material to the Mm. Massachusetts. Four handwritten drafts of the Declaration of Independence. The best one with John Adams's notes in the – I mean, this is all at the Massachusetts Historical Society. So you tend to believe when she says this was Thomas Jefferson's cup, you're holding and drinking coffee out of it. What's really
0: fascinating about this is how you and the work you do and then in turn selling these products and these books – you are walking through history so often, uh, literally walking with and through history.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, you you know, the books and all that, okay, that's why I'm there. That's what I'm looking at. And again, we've done podcasts. We'll do more on some of the great books. But this is something thats t- I wasn't expecting to be drinking out of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> but then sort of going in a totally different direction— uh, I got called in—a uh, man had died. I got called in by a colleague, uh, said that there are some books in this estate. And the man was had a lot of military books. Actually, it turns out he was a customer of ours. I didn't know it was him when I went in, but once I saw it was, uh, some of the books, I knew that who had been buying these. Mm. But one of the things is he collected a lot of souvenirs, uh, military souvenirs— and there was one wall in his house that was all hand grenades, you know, military souvenirs. And he had mortar shells that were, you know, three, four, five feet tall. And he had a lot of other sort of armaments of that type. And, and you know, I had to move some of the mortar and all that to get at the books and so on. And, um, you know, and it was interesting. And the books actually weren't that bad. They weren't terribly valuable. But we bought them. We packed them up. We made our way— sort of through the all of the sort of souvenirs he had and all that. Next day, because I lived near—this was in Newton Center. Mm-hmm. Next day, the bomb squad's there. Turned out none of this was souvenirs. These were all things that he had somehow stolen. The whole wall of hand grenades— were all live so
0: real. Pin, pins were included. <laughs>
1: pin hopefully the I mean, literally oh fortunately my. a mortar shell won't go off easily if you just pick it up and put it down. Mm. But everything was live ammunition. And I'm thinking to myself, I was moving some of this stuff yesterday and you go,
0: huh Yeah but think of the stories, if you had gotten blown up like that, I mean, I what could, a way! What but I would,
1: I could have told them. though. No, no, but we would
0: have told them with your airs on the podcast. That is so weird. I've been to the World War II museum, which there's one in Natick, which is fabulous, and you see a lot of this stuff. But obviously, it's it's not armed. I mean, that would be illegal and all. So he stole this stuff. He, he
1: somehow he stole it. He oh had, my god! But I what mean, it was, there was probably two or three hundred hand grenades. There was mortar shells everywhere. There were all sorts of other. And I just, you know, you just assume yes. that none of this is really real. And uh, now it makes me, when I go in and I see things, I, I take everything for granted. Yeah, if
0: there's any line, wear a flag jacket if there's yeah, any well, line. There. Uh, you, oh, you're, you're, my gosh, Ken.
1: And then another time, and this is going from 150 acres of land in, you know, Manchester with Thomas Jefferson. I, I think this was Melrose, but it was in that area and again a while ago. I went into a lady's house, and the house was a pit. I mean, it was really pretty awful. Hoarder, perhaps? Uh, well, hoarder, but she had a lot of animals and okay. cats and right. a lot of, not a lot of cleaning up after mm-hmm. and so on. But she was showing me through. She actually had some nice books. And I spent some time in there and, again, bought some books, packed them up. And the lady seemed like a very nice, very intelligent even to the point of saying I'm moving out of this place, going to get into some place. And I'm saying to myself, how could you live here if you're normal? In in any case, uh, so, you know, I was happy enough with the books that I bought. And I'm getting to my house at the time I lived in Belmont, and we were in the second floor of a two family house. And I look, I was wearing khaki pants. And I looked down at my pants and they're You know, it's normal to have dirt spots and all that. But when the dirt spots start moving a little, you start worrying. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So I went, this was before cell phones, I went to the front door, rang the doorbell, told my wife to open the back door. We had a washing machine at the head of the stairs of the back. I, I got in. She said she looked down. I stripped off all my clothes, threw them in the washing machine. And I said to her, I was covered with fleas and uh and you know, so I washed off. She said, "Thank God you didn't walk into the house. you weren't oh you God. weren't that dumb <laughs> and 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 then the next thing I did was uh after I got cleaned up and we definitely had my clothes clean, I went to uh, one of the uh star market or somewhere, bought a bunch of flea bombs, closed all the windows to the car, set them off, and I figured anything in there was dead. but so you go from sometimes in mansions. Uh, to, uh,
0: you, to, you're, it's an occupational hazard <laughs>
1: to, to fleas and so on one, one last story I'll tell but things that you're not expecting to see you know And again books are there maybe hmm. they're on the side I went into a man's house and he had again some nice books there was some nautical books there were some other subjects and I'm looking at a glass case he had framed and I'm looking at the case and it was a metal And then I look closer. It's an Olympic gold medal. And I go, is that an Olympic gold medal? He says, yeah, that's in my father's Olympic gold medal. And I said, you know, I was saying, that's sort of strange, but I'm actually seeing. Mm. And he let me actually touch it and hold it. And he said that back in the sailing, in order to appear in the Olympics, you had to sail your boat to the Olympics. You couldn't have it transported. The Olympics were in Australia. They were from the United States. He said, we were a father-son sailing team who were rich enough that we could take the time to sail the boat to Australia. We won the, the Olympics in sailing. But he said, well, first of all, there weren't that many people who could afford to do it. And and came back, and he said, we're the only father-son team that's ever won an Olympic gold medal. And I'm sitting there, I'm still looking and holding an Olympic gold medal. Is it heavy? Uh, it was heavy enough. Heavy and, enough. And not, I always words, wondered about that. Yeah, they, they they weren't like, oh, wait a minute, this, you, you, you know, <laughs> hollow. But so, again, you know, these aren't books that I got, and they're not things that I was buying, but it was just sort of, boy, one of the things I collect is stories. And these are some of the better of my collection.
0: Well you're you're rivaling your father. You may not overtake him, but your father had many great stories. He was the king.
1: Well, he sort of led the way because without him, I wouldn't have had them.
0: Well, I am totally entranced and I know our listeners are too. And uh, they'll be, this is the kind of thing where we have to do a part two, a follow-up at some point.
1: Happy to do it because I've got loads of them.
0: He is Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the famous Brattle Bookshop in Boston. It's brattlebookshop.com on the web. And thank you for listening. Don't Forget you can download, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'd appreciate that. Tell your friends about it too, and you never know what you're going to find when you tune in to the Brattlecast.